Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Good evening. You're allowed to say good evening back when I say that, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Thank you. Especially in a service like this where we're a lot more laid back than we normally are. Thank you for coming. I know it's a busy time as you're preparing for meals and family tomorrow, but I really um, feel strongly, personally. I told David Smith before the service, this is really my own personal worship service. If we did it for no other reason than it's important to me and that I enjoy it, uh, I would do it even if there are four people here because I think it's a great time for us to gather as a church family on a, on a holiday where we typically gather as families and to remember that we have uh, much to give thanks for and that the, the act of giving thanks is a radically subversive, powerfully, uh, powerfully formative thing that we can do. And so we want to remind ourselves of that even as we gather tonight. And so I, I really am grateful uh, for everybody taking the time to be here this evening. I want to do this. I want to lead you, if you'll look in your worship folders, we continue to follow along uh, in what it means for us to remember. We're going to take the next few minutes as we've celebrated and gathered. We're going to remember also and look to the scriptures and uh, give some thought and meditation and remembrance to our own lives in the next few minutes. And so I'm going to ask these two questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is a little more interactive tonight, so I'm going to ask the question, and I'm going to ask if you would, if you could read uh, the answer together corporately as we meditate on the providence of God. So I would ask this, uh, Christian, what do you mean by the providence of God? The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven, earth, and all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, Riches and poverty, yea, all things, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then the next question, what does it profit us to know that God has created and by his providence still upholds all things? And the answer is that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, may have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. And then here also from the scriptures this evening, first in Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, I'll read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then from the letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes again, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's word. Uh, Just a few comments from me, and then we're going to move on to the other parts of our service. In case you're wondering, we really do expect this to be about a 45-minute long service. Uh, But I want to share just a few things from these scriptures with you. And I I want to just begin with this. The first thing we see as we look at these two uh, places where Paul writes about rejoicing and giving thanks, we first see that we have a problem. And our problem is this. You ready? Really deep spiritual stuff. Our problem is we're grumpy. 
And I want to use that word because it sounds so commonplace, but it really is a much bigger deal than it might seem at first. And the passages that we're meditating on tell us to rejoice. And Paul says there, you see verses 4, verse 4 of Philippians 4, rejoice. And then he says, and again I say rejoice as if he knows he has to say it twice because it often doesn't take the first time around. Give thanks, he says. Sing and rejoice. And the opposite of this rejoicing and giving thanks is grumpiness. Consider the men in front of me at the football game last Friday night, the Winter Haven High School football game, who spent the entire game criticizing every play call and yelling at 14-year-old kids to get their heads in the game. Or the parent at the baseball game the next morning who was angry because the coach wasn't giving her son enough play time. Or the angry mob in Ferguson or the pundits egging them on. Or the lady this morning as I was thinking about these things, who honked at me to go literally a half second after the light turned green. My reflex, I didn't even have enough reflex to get my foot on the gas. And then me and the not-so-nice words that immediately flew out of my mouth. We have a problem. Now, instead of trying to describe it further using my own words, there's a picture Jesus gives us in his parables of what I'm accusing us of in his portrait of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. This hardworking, responsible dependable, self-righteous, and grumpy young man who refuses to celebrate and give thanks for his younger brother's return to the family because all of the gratitude and wonder and joy had been sucked out of his life and replaced with complaining and outrage. He's grumpy. He's unhappy about the way his life is going, and he has the spiritual gift of making everybody around him unhappy too. It's a problem, and it's a particular problem for religious people. And that's the, like us, and so that's the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable. Now, there's a line at the end of The Return of the King, which is the third book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I know you're shocked to know that I would be thinking about, uh, where Pippin, one of the hobbits, looks at Gandalf, the great wizard, and at first he sees only the lines of care and sorrow in his face, but then quite brilliantly... Tolkien goes on to write, but then he looks again and he notices that underneath the weariness and the sadness, and here's the phrase, he says, that there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. It's a picture of Christian joy, and I have a friend like that, his name's Bob. And when Bob, some of you have met Bob, and you may know who I'm talking about, but when, when Bob laughs, it literally sets off, sets off a chain reaction of joy in the room he's in. Now, it's because he has a really funny laugh, but it's also because there's enough mirth in him to set a room laughing. There's so much joy in him that he infects whatever crowd of people he's with, and that's how I want to live. Pray for me, please, in that. That's the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. But too often instead, my unhappiness sets off a chain reaction of unhappiness around me. That's what I more often experience. Man, we were meant to live with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Again, I say rejoice. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The gospel is good news of great joy, the angels announce in Luke chapter 2. As Christians, we should be known for our joy. So we have a problem, but we also learn something about the reason for the problem. And it's this. And in that parable that I mentioned just a minute ago, Jesus also shows us the reason for his unhappiness and ours, the very root of it, the boy, we're told, if you remember, is angry with his dad. 
And he thinks he's been treated unfairly, that he deserves more than he's been given. You remember this? And so he says to his father, I've been slaving for you, and you've never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. He thinks his father's stingy, and he could not be more wrong. Because the father in the parable goes out, and do you remember how he responds? He says, son, all I have is yours. And this is the root of our problem. It is the cause for all of our unhappiness. We wrongly evaluate God's heart towards us. We think him, we think of him as Ebenezer Scrooge, as if we have to pry the smallest favor from his hands, when in fact he would say to us too, if we would hear him, all I have is yours. And this is a spiritual disease. It is unbelief. It leads to all kinds of trouble, to anxiety and ingratitude and aggressiveness towards others, like the lady honking her horn at me one millisecond after the light turned green. Because if no one's looking out for you, you have to look out for yourself. So part of the work we have to do around Thanksgiving is to expose this and to do the work of repentance. To do the work of repenting, of turning away and turning yet again to the Lord in faith and believing his great heart for us. And that's what I hope to do uh, tonight. That we would see not only the problem and the reason for the problem, but also begin to identify and understand the cure and how our hearts can be healed of this disease of ingratitude and thanklessness and unbelief. And the answer is what we've meditated on, the doctrine of the providence of God. Now, in 1863, in the middle of America's Civil War, Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation calling for the celebration of the Thanksgiving holiday. That's why we celebrate tomorrow. And his proclamation began with these words. He was a real real wordsmithy guy. He says, quote, The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthy skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they came, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften the heart which is habitually insensitive to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. What Lincoln means, the reason for his proclamation, he says God's blessings are so constant (laughs) that there's something strange that happens. It's a defect that his, his blessings and providences are so constant that we're tempted to take them for granted. Breath in our lungs, rain and sun and harvest and good health and family and friends, each of these things is a miracle. And God is so unvaried in his goodwill towards us that we sinfully become forgetful of him. And then he says beyond that are the extraordinary blessings And he goes up, both the ordinary and the everyday and the extraordinary in our lives come from God's loving hands. That's what he calls, that's what the scripture calls providence. The apostle Paul says, look there, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. In everything, he says, Philippians 4, 5, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So providence is the Christian doctrine that teaches that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, the everything of our lives comes from a singular source God's goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. Providence teaches us that God is always at work in a thousand details to bless us and to do us good. And so the everything of your life, whatever it might be, is not a random collection of events that happen to you accidentally. It is the culmination of a brilliantly executed plan by the one who loves you. Now back in my day when a man was going to propose to a girl, it went something like this. You picked her up. You took her out to a nice dinner, and somewhere in the middle of the dinner, you got down on one knee and you made your spiel. It was so simple, so straightforward. 
right? No, 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 none of the, you know, the stuff now that happens. See, now on with social media and everything being so public, here's what happens now. You get these guys who uh, concoct these elaborate proposals. Have you seen these on Facebook? I'm sure all the ladies in the room are going, oh, yeah, yeah. And the men are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But they, they do this and put it on Facebook for the world to see. And I would, I would hate uh, to be young and thinking about proposing because how you top some of the stuff that these guys have done, right? I mean, and if you don't, then you don't really love the person you're trying, you know, so it's like catch-22 thing. Lots of pressure. And so I admit I'm a sucker. I've watched a few of those things, maybe because I'm a romantic at heart or, okay, just maybe sappy or, okay, you know, girly or whatever, okay? But I've seen these things. And I find myself amazed at the amount of time and planning and the thoughtfulness behind it and getting all the friends and family in on it and the coordination of all the details that culminates in the picturesque thing on the beach where there's candles all around, oh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I wonder what it must feel like for that woman to know how much time and energy and effort the man put into all of this just to show her how much he loves her. She has to feel loved, right? I, mean, I, mo- I imagine most women would be overwhelmed by all of that. Now let me just make that... Uh, let me turn that and just say God's working in our lives is a lot like those men doing all of that to put their love on display. God has put thought into how to love you. Do you know that? He's put thought into how to love you. The psalmist says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. That's how, that's how often God thinks of you. He's put thought into how to love you. He's planned for it. And now, in unfolding the, the everything of your life, He is orchestrating a masterpiece all around you and putting it on display for the whole world to see because he wants you and everybody else to know just how much he loves you. That's providence. Fruitful and barren years, health and sickness, riches and poverty, every circumstance comes not from chance but from the loving hand of our Father in heaven who delights to do us good. Do you see it in the middle of Paul's exhortation? Philippians 4, rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious, he says. What's the bridge? What's the bridge between the joy in verse 4 and no anxiety in verse 6? It's verse 5. Verse 5 is the key to both verse 4 and verse 6. And where does the joy come from? He says, how do you avoid anxiety? It's with this truth. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. It means God's near. God sees. He's not forgotten about you. He's not stopped working for you. He's present and active in a thousand details. And that's the solution to our problem. To know that to be true. But then lastly, and then I'm going to finish. Lastly, though, we have, to, we have to practice this. So we have to attack our forgetfulness. You have to fight for joy. And the way you do that is to remind yourself of this truth. The Lord is at hand. That's why Thanksgiving is so important. It's why this service is so important. Because it's this thing that we constantly forget. And this is an opportunity to recall all of God's past faithfulness to you. That's the work before us in this service tonight. It's the work of fathers around dinner tables tomorrow. It's the work that's before us in these days ahead to combat our forgetfulness with a reminder of all the goodness that he has shown to us in Christ Jesus. So consistently and so faithfully until it melts our hearts and it undoes our grumpiness and it replaces it with a joy uh, that is unspeakable and with a peace that passes understanding, as Paul says. That's the work. So thanks for being here. And trying to do that work. Uh, We gather around this table to do that work. We enter into this service to do that work. It's the work that we have to put ourselves to. And so I just implore you. uh, Give your hearts to that great work. Both in these moments we have together tonight. 
and around this holiday tomorrow as well. And so let's pray that we would do just that. Okay, Father, we do thank you for your great providence towards us. It is a doctrine that we are unfamiliar with but should be far more familiar with. So would you come and, and overwhelm us as we just stop long enough to consider all the good that you've done. Would you, would you overwhelm our hearts with that thought and strengthen us, uh, give to us the great joy that we so long to have so that we might honor and glorify you with the thanks that we give to you tonight and tomorrow. May we celebrate, celebrate family, celebrate uh, life, celebrate and enjoy your gifts and food and, and football and all the stuff that happens tomorrow, but all of those things only for your sake. And we pray in Jesus' name. It's easy to glamorize, as Publix does in their commercials, uh, holidays, but I know that sometimes they can be full of sadness and um, pain or frustration. And so whatever, whatever tomorrow holds for you, whatever it looks like, whether it's all of you're the mother hen and all of your chicks around the table or whether it's you and just another friend, uh, what you can be confident of is what makes tomorrow possible is the promise of this benediction. That if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever tomorrow may look like, the thing you can be assured of is even that is a product of the good favor of God that rests on your life. And so, whether we, no matter how we gather tomorrow, the reality is what meets us on the day tomorrow is 10,000 reasons for us to gather and to celebrate and to give thanks. And they all stem from the promise of these words. And so receive this benediction. Uh, May it linger over your life uh, tomorrow and in the coming days. May you feast on it, even as you feast on pumpkin pie and all the things that await you around the table tomorrow. So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go and rejoice.